Happy Friday, cybersecurity and cryptocurrency brethren. Hope everybody had a good week this week. Today is Friday, January the 10th of 2020, and this is episode number 99 of the Cybersecurity and Cryptocurrency Podcast. I'm your host, Eric English. All the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely my opinions and do not reflect those of my employer. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy. All right, so we got some fun stuff to talk about already, and we'll just jump right in here. So on the cybersecurity side of things, uh, we're going to talk about the whole situation in Iran and uh, some of the things that uh, various government agencies are saying to do to protect yourself from uh, potential cyber attacks from Iran. So we'll, we'll go through a bunch of those. We'll also talk about, uh, this is kind of a sidebar topic, but uh, we'll talk about pen testing in general. Um, you know, we recently worked with a vendor on a pen test, and so I kind of want to share that experience uh, with everybody, and, and so you guys can hopefully not have the same situation happen to you. So we'll we'll talk about that quite a bit as our sidebar topic. We'll also talk about all the uh, various crypto exchanges that were uh, breached back in 2019. We'll talk about the list of those. We're also going to talk about the Telegram uh, cryptocurrency and what's going on there, the news with that. We'll touch briefly on the uh, Facebook Libra as well. We'll talk about some other big cyber attacks. Uh, one of them was Australia's uh, foreign ministry. They were hit with a pretty big one and Las Vegas, the city of Las Vegas. So we'll talk about those as well. Uh, also going to talk about for data breaches, uh, a company called Life Labs. They do the DNA kind of stuff. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about separating your work and personal life as far as mobile devices go, like your cell phone, for example, and some of the ramifications with combining the two, which a lot of companies do combine the two. So we'll talk about that. So there's also a pretty big vulnerability that's being exploited in the wild uh, relating to some Android apps that were available in the App Store which allowed a hacker group to get root access on some phones. So we'll talk about those apps and what happened there. We'll also talk about Google Assistant and what Google is now doing with privacy amid all the, <laughs> all the privacy concerns coming out here lately. So Google is trying to jump out in front of that, I'm guessing. So we'll talk about that a little bit. We'll also talk about an article that I saw here about um, how Apple is scanning your photos when you upload them into iCloud. We'll touch briefly on that. And of course, we'll talk about the Bitcoin price too and where that's, where that's heading. And then there's another story here about some unremovable malware that came uh, pre-shipped on some uh, lower-end Android phones. We'll talk about that too. And another kind of sidebar topic, we'll talk about various apps that you can get on your phone to create a firewall on your phone and be able to control the data that goes out of your phone. So that's kind of cool stuff too. We'll talk about the, the various apps out there for that and the ones I've tried. All right, so that's a lot to get to. So we'll start, I mean, this is mostly gonna be cybersecurity today. We'll start with cybersecurity since there's so much to get to. We'll kick it off with the various firewall apps for your phone. And I've been testing a few of these. Uh, the most recent one I'm testing is called GlassWire. Uh, GlassWire, they've also got a, an installer for Windows as well. So 
essentially glassware it's not free they do charge it's like five bucks a year so it's not the end of the world if you want to get the firewall feature uh, on your android device if you and i'm just android i don't know about the iphone um, perspective on this i'm just going to speak to what what i've experienced so uh, if you want those premium features it's five bucks a year so it's really not too bad to get their their firewall and it also does some really cool data visualization in Glasswire to kind of let you know, you know, which apps are the most talkative. Uh, lots of kind of interesting statistics and stuff that you can watch. And you can really dive into a lot of those stats, too, and see which ones are sending out the most data. And then you can see what data they're actually sending out and do some more investigating there. So Glasswire seems to be pretty slick, but again, it is five bucks. Not that that's the end of the world. Five bucks a year. Uh, there are some others out there that I tinkered with. Uh, one of the free ones out there that I used was called NetGuard. And again, it's on Android. I'm guessing there's probably an equivalent on iPhone, although I have not tried it. But NetGuard was, it is free. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Uh, of course, they're accepting donations if you want to you know, donate to their project, but uh, it, it does a lot of the same things, but it does not have the data visualization that Glasswire does. So if you want that in addition to being able to block and allow certain apps from communicating, then, you know, Glasswire might be for you. If you just want a free one to tinker around with, NetGuard's pretty cool. Uh, it's very straightforward. It's kind of, you know, turn it off or on kind of thing. And, you know, it does log, of course, which apps and what traffic goes in and out. The logs are very granular. You do have to turn those logs on. And of course, it is going to use up more battery if those are turned on. But you do get a lot of great information from it. And you can really see anything and everything leaving your phone. So to me, that's pretty cool stuff just to be able to see what all happens when you, you know, just when you install an app, does it immediately go out to the web and, and talk? Does it immediately check in and phone home somewhere? You know, what happens the first time you launch the app? You know, how much data does it send back to the home base or to the mothership? Uh, all kinds of, of interesting stuff there to, to consider. But those are the two that I've tried that I actually like. Uh, I did go ahead and pay the, the whopping $5 a year for Glasswire. So uh, I wanted to kind of see all the quote-unquote premium features that they had. So uh, I went ahead and paid the whopping 5 bucks for that one. But I think either one does the same job, and they both appear to be doing a good job. Now, the interesting part about the firewall apps for your phone is that in order to, in order for these apps to even work, they have to essentially tell the phone that it's creating a VPN, when, of course, it's not creating a VPN. Uh, basically, it's creating a loopback address so that anything you send out actually loops back into the phone so that that application can then filter it out. Uh, otherwise, the data would just go out of the phone and this app wouldn't be able to see it. So it creates the loopback to then send the data right back to the phone so that the app can analyze it and either block it or send it out. So in order to use it, you do have to turn on that quote-unquote VPN. And you might be wondering, well, can I use you know, NordVPN while this is also enabled? The answer is yes, but you can't use NordVPN via the app. Uh, you can, however, go into your settings in your phone and manually configure the NordVPN in there, but it will not work via the app. So you can still get 
protection from both. Uh, just takes a little more setup if you want to get uh, your privacy VPN uh, up and going in addition to one of these firewalls. So anyway, just kind of cool stuff there I've been tinkering with. I uh, wanted to share the experiences with those. And uh, there are others out there too that, that I tinkered around with. These are just the couple that I that I liked the most. Uh, Glasswire for Windows, I haven't tried that yet, but I've heard a lot of good reviews on it. So I do plan on testing that out here uh, hopefully in the next week or so. See how that does. All right, so some other news here in cybersecurity. So there was some unremovable malware found pre-installed on some low-end smartphones. Uh, of course, these were sold in the United States. And <laughs> unremovable malware is, is pretty uh, ridiculous. The phone that it says that the this malware is on is called a Unimax U673C handset. That's sold by Assurance Wireless, which is Virgin Mobile in the United States. And what's interesting, too, is, is these cell phones... The telco that's selling the cell phones is part of what's called Lifeline, and it's a government program that subsidizes uh, phone service for low-income Americans. Uh, Malwarebytes takes the credit for finding this uh, unremovable malware, so kudos to them. They basically said that there's a backdoor that this malware creates, and they're basically saying that this backdoor is used by this uh, Chinese-based company, and the company claims that it's used for uh, over-the-air updates. But Malwarebytes was also saying that, hey, they could, you know, bypass the carrier, which in this case would be Virgin Mobile, and just send some sort of a malicious update directly to the phone. And the whole big deal with this is because apparently a bunch of apps were being installed without the user's knowledge. And unfortunately, when apps are added to your phone with, with zero knowledge and, and you didn't allow any permissions and things like that, of course, that's really scary to just all of a sudden say, hey, what's this new app on my phone? I didn't run an update or anything. But uh, they're also saying that uh, part of this malware is, of course, adware and a bunch of pop-up ads will, will happen on your phone. And uh, they're also saying it's, at least as of right now, it's unremovable. Now, I'm sure if you rooted one of these devices, then you probably could uh, get this software off of there. But Malwarebytes was unable to just as the phone itself was currently configured. So pretty crazy stuff there. But I think we've seen other cases of this too. And at least sending out phones with pre-installed vendor apps that are vulnerable. That's, that's definitely happened before. So anyway, I guess not the first time we've seen something like that, but when they say it's unremovable, that's pretty wild. So there's another article too here about uh, Apple and what they're doing with your photos once you upload them to iCloud. And the big to-do was, oh my God, they're scanning your photos when you upload them to iCloud. Well, duh. <laughs> of course they are. Hey, don't worry. Google is too, folks. <laughs> Apparently everybody has their, their head in the sand and they just think that they magically go up there to the magical cloud and nothing happens. But Apple did come out and say, yes, we are scanning your photos for specifically for child abuse and child porn related things. So, of course, in doing that, you do realize that they, you know, in the scanning process, they're going to see everything, right? Not just what they're looking for. They're going to look at every single photo you upload. And, you know, kudos to them for the whole child abuse and child porn thing. Totally cool, right? That's great. But the privacy issue there is they're looking at all of your photos no matter what. So anyway, 
Google does it too. It's it's no surprise here. Uh, Google Photos, as you upload stuff to that, you know that Google scans those. Uh, Google also uses certain things to tag into those photos, like geolocation and other things so that you can search uh, later on for those particular photos. So anyway, there's. I'm not sure why this was such a big uh, news headline, but uh, it made me kind of think, well, yeah, duh, people. Google does it too. So uh, anyway, everybody was all freaking out. Not surprising to me, though. Uh, some other news here about uh, Las Vegas. They got hit with a cyber attack, apparently. And uh, it seems like a lot of cities are getting hit here uh, lately. It's it's pretty wild. And they're saying it happened uh, Tuesday morning uh, of this week, so just a few days ago. And guess how the threat actors gained access? Phishing emails. <laughs> Man, that's that's still the number one threat factor for everybody. It's just wild. There's got to be a way to fix all this. Anyway, they, uh, they're still unsure if any confidential information was taken. They're still kind of going through the investigation process there. And the city of Las Vegas says that they typically get... Uh, over 270,000 attempts to breach its systems every month. I, I think that's about right for everybody, really. I mean, that's not that's not unique to them. I mean, think of all the phishing emails that, that your spam filter blocks every day. I mean, those numbers are, are probably very, very similar. So that's not anything I'd be too impressed or scared of, I guess, either way. Apparently, they think, though, that that is just a huge number. But I think that if you have the right kind of logs in place and you can see all those things, you'd really be surprised how many of those happen to every IP address on the internet, not just Las Vegas. But anyway, they thought it was a big deal. But of course, they got in with an email. They didn't break through the firewall. And so they're saying that this attack led to, guess what? Ransomware. <laughs> Man, yet again, another story of a, a city or a nation or whatever, a state department of some sort getting hit with ransomware. Just seems to be a, an ongoing thing here. And I guess spam filters aren't doing a good enough job at all, apparently. I think that's, I don't know. To me, that seems like IT or security 101 to get a, a really good spam filter and block everything that you possibly can. But of course, you have to balance usability with security. And that's of course, it's a tough dance. And also, too, I mean, they may not have the funding for that. You know, government entities may not have the budget for it, right? So they have to work with what they're given, too. Anyway, hopefully, more of these cities and government entities will be given a lot better funding to help protect all that information about all the citizens. I mean, you can imagine all the information they'd get about the people in Las Vegas that, that live there. I mean, that'd be, that'd be wild to think about, right? It's tons of people, tons of people. But anyway, it's ransomware, and they're saying they're not going to pay the ransom. So, all right, some other news here about three malicious apps in the Google Play Store were exploiting a critical Android rooting flaw. It's uh, CVE number... Uh, 2019-2215, if you want to look that up. And apparently it's being used by a an Israeli surveillance firm called NSO Group. And so they basically planted this uh, malware exploit, whatever you want to call it, in uh, three different apps in the Google Play Store. Uh, one of those apps was called Camero, 
One of them was called File Crypt, and another one was called Call Cam. So between all those three apps, they all had that same exploit code in it. And apparently they were saying that they were targeting very specific people for espionage uh, purposes. So Trend Micro is the group that found this vulnerability. And they were saying that, uh, based on what they can tell, that this has been happening since March of 2019. That's like seven or eight months before it was even discovered. So anyway, that's a, that's a pretty wild story there. They did mention the specific phones that this apparent root exploit works on. There's a list of those here in the article. Uh, I will post it in the show notes, of course, along with all the others, so you can look at those uh, various phones that were affected by that. All right, some other stuff here. Uh, Life Labs is one of those DNA-type companies. Uh, they're being sued, uh, of course, for a data breach. Uh, that, I'm not sure how much these lawsuits are going to help, but, you know, essentially, you signed up to give them your DNA. You signed away your rights, and I, I don't know how much... A lawsuit is going to help. Yes, they lost or got breached, and and now that information or DNA that you gave them is is now stolen. But it could have been prevented by you by not even giving them that DNA. And just like with anything out there, be really careful. I mean, DNA especially, uh, just giving that stuff away. I mean, there's there's huge privacy issues there, of course. And the other terrible part is they charge you money for these things. And not only do they make money on what they charge you, but they also make money because they turn around and sell a bunch of that DNA information to third parties. And they make even more money on you. So you have to pay them so they can make more money on you. Personally, I don't exactly like that, but maybe it's just me. Anyway, uh, always be careful with that kind of stuff. I mean, especially when you're going to a website and they want all your personal information. Use an alias. Use a burner address, burner phone number. Don't give them the keys to the kingdom if you can help it. Of course, you know, financial systems, you don't really have a choice. But anything else, they get a burner address and an alias. Uh, The other big cyber attack was Austria's foreign ministry. And again, this was ransomware, of course, and there's very few details uh, in this article about what happened, how the attack started. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and uh, (laughs) I'm going to make a really bold claim that I bet it started with a phishing email. What do you bet? I'm really putting myself out there, huh? Anyway, uh, just add to that list there of uh, more ransomware breaches. All right, kind of a sidebar, uh, quick sidebar topic here about employees using their personal cell phones for work purposes. And, you know, of course, there's a lot of lot of software out there that can help divide that up and help protect, you know, your company data, all that kind of good stuff. But not all companies can afford stuff like that. I mean, there's I've looked at, uh, you know, AirWatch, for example, which is now VMware. Uh their product is great, but it's really expensive. I mean, it's like $7 per device per month, and you add that up with 2,000 employees or something. I mean, that's just it's staggering numbers. I mean, you might as well buy everybody a, a business cell phone and be done with it there. So anyway, there, there are programs out there that do help you uh, protect your company data, but 
I think a lot of companies, especially smaller businesses, they don't they don't have a way to do that. They can't afford it. Um, they can't you know force people to get a burner cell phone to use just for work purposes. And you know you can think about all the various personal apps that people have on their phones, and especially you can think about people that you know aren't as maybe tech savvy or privacy savvy or even security savvy. And they just go out to the app store and they install whatever looks cool, you know, and they they just fiddle around with various games out there and, you know, whatever else it is, all the social media apps in the world and with little regard for privacy or security. And they're probably accepting all the permissions on all those apps. And that, of course, raises a huge, huge vulnerability flag there. And to me, that is probably a vector like you we heard about these three apps there that were delivering malware or being able to root somebody's phone just by installing this app i mean you can imagine being able to root someone's phone and then steal the data from their phone i mean that's just that that's going to become more common and I, i do wonder too like even with something like airwatch if you're using airwatch and you got one of these apps that would root your phone would that break AirWatch? Would you be able to circumvent the container for AirWatch? Uh, that's one thing I don't know, and, and they may have already tested it, and they may say, oh, you can't do that kind of thing. But it always makes me think, you know, what if kind of thing. And it's always a tough battle, and it's it's something that I constantly think about because just about everybody gets their business email on their phone, and business email is the primary method of communication for damn near every business on the planet and of course there's sensitive information in there and you know it gets sent all around the world and of course phishing comes through in that same manner it is obviously the biggest threat vector for every business email and yet people are walking around with it on their phones and giving various apps permission and probably giving them permission to even see some of those emails or even better Somebody would download a no-name email client from the App Store that can read every single thing in your emails. Um, anyway, there's there's just so many different ramifications to think about there. So I guess the question is, do you, does anybody force their end users to use a specific email client? Um, do you force uh, users to encrypt their cell phone, or you know, do you do you use something like AirWatch? If you don't have the money for AirWatch, what what can you do there? So, so many things to think about. Do you just block uh, email access on your cell phone altogether? I mean, that's one way, right? <laughs> Certainly one way to do it there. But uh, anyway, it's something I always struggle with and always think about. And I don't have a good answer yet, but uh, hopefully at some point I'll, I'll figure out something that actually works. But that's something that's been weighing pretty heavily on me here uh, lately, trying to figure out what's the best route to go. Because there's so many different ways. Some are just not feasible, you know, budgets and whatever else. Anyway, tough battle to fight there. If you have any ideas on what you do to fight that kind of stuff, I'd love to hear it. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at CyberCryptoGuys. Send me some ideas. Love to hear it because there's uh, a lot of customers that out there that are asking that question. And, and I don't always have the greatest answer, unfortunately, because it's just so up in the air right now. All right, so we also said that we were going to talk about all of the different ways that the or the different uh, government organizations that have been alerting us about the uh, Iranian cyber attacks that could potentially be coming and yada, yada, yada. 
And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny about all of them. I've seen some from the FBI and a bunch of others, and they're all quite vague. <laughs> they're all like, uh, you know, prepare for this from an unknown entity and prepare for this from an unknown entity. And <laughs> essentially, it's just like, okay, just keep doing what you're doing and, and be prepared for the unknown from who knows. <laughs> so the advice from... The various government entities were to just lock down everything. If you don't already, lock it down. If you do already, just keep doing what you're doing and watch out. <laughs> of course, with anybody, we were just talking about it, email. Email is the biggest threat vector for any business. So spam filtering is one of the best mechanisms to help stop that stuff from even being delivered to your end users. From there, it's antivirus. So anyway, I thought that was funny more than anything. <laughs> you know, they're talking about, <laughs> here's what you need to do and be prepared for, you know, uh, a ransomware attack from an unknown entity. And, oh man. Anyway, I just thought it was funny more than anything. It was very uninformative by the various uh, government entities out there. All right. So this pen test that I had uh, a company do recently, it was... It was interesting, and the, the whole experience, I'm not going to name the company, of course, but the experience from the customer's perspective, which was mine, of course, and the customer, the experience was was horrible, and, um, you know, we spent probably, a, a, I don't know, I'd say a month uh, just kind of planning and scoping everything, and essentially, uh, the short of it is that we, we agreed that, hey, you're going to test this specific network you're going to try to pivot into any other network that you think you can using any method that you want uh, you're also going to test these specific devices you can run any kind of exploits you want uh, even if you defeat those devices and you get into something else run whatever you want try to get even further you know basically just go as far as you can you know, we'll let you into a certain spot, and then we want you to go as far as you can from there with doing anything you want. Any kind of exploits doesn't matter, right? So that's what was agreed to at the very beginning of all of it. And you know, everybody signed the paperwork, and um, this was this test was going to be a two-day on-site test. And um, the crazy part of all of it <laughs> is the cost. We ended up paying, or the customer ended up paying, $45,000 for this pen test. Okay. And, you know, okay, great. If it's a really great pen test and you can tell that they did a great job on it, okay, maybe it's worth 45k, but uh with the scope being what felt like very very small, we really wanted just a handful of specific devices he tested and, you know, one specific network. But again, trying to pivot as far as they can, doing whatever they need to from there. It seemed outrageously expensive to me but the customer had a personal relationship there and uh, said no they're going to do a good job so we went with it and uh here here's some of the things that happened uh, throughout that process so the the first issue was scheduling of this deal and what was funny is they would say yeah just whenever you guys want us to go just you know let us know we're like okay um what about next tuesday and they're like whoa hold on <laughs> well we can't do tuesday but what about friday it's like no you can't go up there on friday because no one's going to be there um and it's supposed to be a two-day on-site so you got to be there and people are there oh well how about and, and it, that went back and forth a few times but the funny part was they were asking us what we would prefer and 
they didn't even have that availability. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was that was frustrating. The next frustrating thing was when the pen testers arrived. Uh, they were supposed to do a two-day test. They were arriving on a Tuesday. They emailed us that morning on Tuesday morning and said that their flights were delayed. They ended up arriving on site at this location at 5.30 p.m. <laughs> at the end of Tuesday. So... That's basically an entire day down the drain of testing. So apparently this Tuesday, they, they hooked up their devices and were doing some automated scans and they went home or to the hotel. And, you know, of course, Wednesday comes around and they say they're working on, you know, whatever they're doing. Um, that's all well and good. And then they said, yeah, we're going to leave one of these devices here to continue doing some testing. Okay, great. That's fine. On their way out the door, they, they told somebody... Uh, just one of the, I think it was, you know, the, whatever, the manager there or whatever. Just any, like, why would you tell anybody the results of the pen test? This guy was basically telling her, yep, there was nothing found. It's all good. Everything's great. You know, nothing to see here. And, and of course, the boss of the customer heard about this from uh, the grapevine, of course. And he was, he was quite pissed because, you know, why are the, <laughs> the managers at this location hearing about the results of a pen test uh, before the IT department. And um, anyway, sent them a, a nice little email and, and they responded back that they train their employees if they get asked that question to tell the customer that everything is good. <laughs> okay, wouldn't you just say that's confidential and I can't talk about that? Uh, anyway, it seemed very specific that they trained their people to say, nope, there's nothing wrong, no vulnerabilities, everything's good. That seemed really weird. Anyway, we continue on. The next few days pass, and their little device is on site, and they emailed us, I think it was that uh, Friday, that same week. You know, they'd left on Wednesday, and they emailed us and said, hey, can you, uh, can you go reboot our little device? And it's like, okay, well... <laughs> You know, it's going to take somebody a while to get to it. It's kind of in an obscure location and people are working. He's like, okay, yeah, well, I mean, if you guys can go reboot it. And I was like, okay, well, did you, did you train somebody there on where it is and, and how, to, how to reboot it? Is there something specific? And they're like, no, no, we didn't. <laughs> like, okay, dude, no, that's great. So we had to rely on somebody remotely who was not tech savvy to uh, reboot this device. Luckily, it was kind of unplugged plug it back in kind of thing. However, they kept emailing us day after day saying, yeah, can you go reboot it again? Can you go reboot it again? Can you reboot it again? And of course, at this point, I'm losing a lot of confidence that the pen test is going well. I was already pretty much like this is a horrible pen test. And finally, after multiple attempts to reconnect to their device, they kind of threw their hands up and said, well, I, you know, I guess just ship it back to us and we'll, we'll see what we got. <laughs> that doesn't exactly exude a lot of confidence there. And so we did. We shipped it back to them. And of course, Christmas break happened and New Year's break happened and we didn't hear anything from them. And this test ended uh, probably the week before Christmas, right? And uh, we waited and waited and waited. And I finally emailed him yesterday towards the end of the day. I said, hey, guys, um, you know, we did this test like back in December before Christmas. What's, you know, can you give us a status update on the reports? I get an email 
like three hours later saying, oh, yeah, we were just about to wrap that up and send you the report. <laughs> okay, yeah, right. So in their report delivery, which I thought was really crazy, they basically said, okay, here's your reports. Let us know if you have any questions. That was it. They didn't say, hey, let's let's have an exit meeting and let's talk about you know everything in the report. It was, hey, here's your report. Let me know if you have any questions. <laughs> Personally, I've never had a... A pen test done and even when i was doing pen testing i would never just give someone a report and leave or you know say let me know if you have questions otherwise you know see ya kind of thing so that was interesting and the worst part get ready for this we read through the report and they basically ran a nessus scan and they used a very simple tool called nick2 to run a web vulnerability scan and they did CDP discovery, which is Cisco discovery protocol, to find other VLANs. Well, the problem with CDP is we don't even, or this customer doesn't even use Cisco products at all. So, of course, CDP wasn't found, and therefore they didn't find any other VLAN. And the, the whole issue, of course, was, you know, the fact that they were supposed to have exploited anything that they found, right? And they found, you know, that, there was an outdated operating system and a couple of weak algorithms. Uh, for, and you could tell it was a Nessus scan. The verbiage was the exact same. And they claimed that nothing uh, was exploited, although they didn't even talk about what exploits they tried, if they tried any. And uh, that was quite uh, frustrating because we expected them to be doing a lot of different things. And these devices specifically had a lot of different attack vectors, or so we thought. And that's what we talked about in the scoping call was hey let's let's try to attack all these different vectors and let's make sure that we get these vectors because there's a lot and i guess they didn't do that they just ran their automated tools put it into a report and said hey here's your report let me know if you have questions <laughs> anyway i guess lesson learned there for the customer but we still have a little bit to go here we're gonna we are gonna request an exit meeting with them since they didn't offer one to us freely, which was quite irritating. So we are going to ask them for the exit meeting to go over everything. And, and hopefully they have some better answers for us, but we're not exactly confident that they did a very good test for us. And it's unfortunate because the customer paid them up front. <laughs> so anyway, and 45K to run a Nessus scan and use some other open source web vulnerability scanners. Oh, man, talk about brutal. Some of the stuff he was testing, uh, or they were testing, had uh, web login pages and, and things like that, and they didn't even do any kind of SQL injection. They did a very simple brute force uh, using a word list of you know all the common default passwords. It was like a total of 50. <laughs> How long did that take them to run? You know, I mean, come on, guys. That maybe took you five minutes to run your quote-unquote brute force. Oh, man. Anyway, it was brutal and lesson learned there for that customer. But talk about terrible. This is two different pen test companies now that I've specifically seen that call their test a pen test but don't actually exploit anything. So... Next time you get a pen test, make absolutely sure that if you want them to run exploits, you tell them and you make sure it's in the contract. Because we went back and looked at the contract and unfortunately, their wording was so vague 
in the statement of work slash contract that it essentially says that they would run some automated tools and uh, that exploits would be attempted if possible. <laughs> so anyway, live and learn there. So uh, if you are going to get a pen test, uh, one of the recommendations is to you know pay them half up front or even you know a quarter of it up front, and then pay the you know the second half or the the other three quarters when you get the final reports and you're happy with the work that they did. Otherwise, they got their money and, you know, they can be like, hey, see ya, it's in the contract. Anyway, not fun for this customer, but this is the second one I've seen now that uh, says it's a pen test and all they did was run a Nessus scan. So make sure you, you really scrutinize these pen test vendors because that's two now that I've seen that, yeah, we're running a pen test and <laughs> it's a Nessus scan. Like, come on, guys, seriously, it's not a pen test. So anyway, long story there. Uh, because of that long story, I'm going to go ahead and cut off the, the podcast here. We'll skip the cryptocurrency stuff for today. We'll we'll catch back up on that next week. But I don't want to make this podcast go too ridiculously long today. So with that said, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy. At CyberCryptoGuy on Twitter. Check me out on there. I retweet a bunch of the articles that we talk about here on this show. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.